Peter said that he was going to speak on words, I said, well, this is a great week because I'm going to speak on words too. And so you're going to hear a lot about words. And it's funny the way the morning started because we couldn't get the words on the screen for the songs. So the whole morning has been oriented around words. We need the words. How are we going to get the words up on the screen? Everything was about words. When I was a student at the University of Delaware, I was an English major. And when you're an English major, you receive a lot of abuse from people who aren't English majors. You know who you are. You are those people. Biology majors, engineering majors, computer majors, casting a downward eye at me. I've heard it all. What's your assignment this week, Rick? Read a book? What's your, what's, what's the, what's your final? Tell them how you feel about a poem. Yeah, you've said these things in your heart if you didn't say them out loud. I know. But I'll readily admit that being an English major, it had its perks. I remember a time that I was meeting with a friend of mine who was a biology major. He was a junior biology major. I was a senior uh, English education major. And he was right in the midst of fighting through, I don't know, microbiology, macrobiology, microbiological biology, whatever. I mean, there were these horrible named courses that he would have to go through in order to continue on in his major. And he was just lamenting um, these classes and molecular and everything he was talking about. And I was sort of listening and... Yeah, he said, I have a lot of work to do tonight. How about, how about you? Do you have work to do tonight? I said, oh, yeah, I have, I have a bunch of schoolwork, too. And then he asked what I had to do. Well, at the time, I was finishing my education classes, and I was taking a juvenile literature course. And so my assignment that evening was to read Dr. Seuss books. So I realized then, I guess my major actually did have its perks. But I would like to point out that English really is a complex language. It could be dangerous to someone not properly trained, as I am. Richard Letterer, in a book entitled Crazy English, notes the following. There is no butter in buttermilk. There's no grape in grapefruit. There's neither worms nor wood in wormwood. Neither pine nor apple in pineapple. There's no ham in hamburger And though we generally don't know what is in a hot dog, we all hope it's not dog. (laughs) Greyhounds aren't always gray. A koala bear is not a bear. A woodchuck is a groundhog, which of course isn't a hog. A horned toad is a lizard. Fireflies aren't flies. And guinea pigs aren't pigs. And they're not from Guinea. Tomboys are girls, tablecloths are made of plastic, and morning sickness, as some of you very well know, happens at all times of the day. A fat chance and a slim chance mean exactly the same thing, but a wise man and a wise guy are opposites. And if pro is the opposite of con, then is the opposite of progress, congress? It's a dangerous language, people. That's all I'm trying to say here. Got to be careful. Seems like it is a miracle that we're able to communicate with each other at all. 
In a world filled with texting and emailing and Facebooking, there is a huge excess of verbiage. But the irony is we connect more and we seem to communicate less. And though we all know the power of images and of nonverbal signals, we can't avoid the reality that most of our communication is still accomplished through words. And this has not changed in the several thousand years since the book of Proverbs was compiled. The topic of words arguably is the most important character trait discussed in the book of Proverbs. So we're going to kind of take a traveling uh, trip, a trip through the book of Proverbs today to see some of the themes of what it says about our words. In 31 chapters, there are 150 different references to how we use words. And I think the reason for this is simply that words are powerful. Words are powerful. Peter referenced what I'm about to say. Researchers have said we open our mouths 700 times a day in order to speak 16,000 words, which means in the course of a week, you speak an entire novel. So we must ask ourselves, if I were to read your novel from last week, what would I learn about you? What would I learn about your relationship to other people? What would I learn about your passion for God? What would I learn about your pursuit of wisdom? What would I learn about how you treated others if I looked at your words, if I read your novel from last week? It's sort of a sobering question to think about. Proverbs 18.21 says that the tongue has the power of life and death. And I know you know this because you have experienced and you have seen people gain life. You've seen people rise in their spirits because of words spoken to them. We talk about this a lot with children, but we see it everywhere. But you can see it most often in children because they express themselves so visually. They're so willing to sort of not hide their emotions. And you can just see when you speak to a child and you say, I love your sweater. You look so pretty. It's like, yes, I do. And their spirits are lifted. But it's no different for adults. It's no different for your spouse. It's no different for your coworkers. Our spirits are still lifted by kind words. And they're still torn down by negative ones. It has the power of life and death. I think Proverbs talk so much about words because they're so radically wrapped into every other important area of our lives. Our marriages, our friendships, our spiritual walks, our parenting, our work, our integrity, all of these things are oriented and touched and affected by words. So our words, carelessness, in them, or wisdom in them, them lead one way or the other. Our words lead us into trouble, or they can lead us out of trouble. Words are strong. Words are powerful. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, is a cute, well-intentioned lie. Indeed, Words do hurt us sometimes more long-lastingly than physical injury. 
A black eye, my black eye will heal a lot faster than a black eye on my reputation because of a lie told about me. Sticks and stones may break bones, but words can break spirits. Why is this? Well, it's because words go deep. Words sink into our souls. Proverbs 12, 18, reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. So we have both sides of it here. Your words will go deep into somebody's soul for good or for evil. Your words will go into somebody's soul, deep into their soul, either as a poison or as medicine. Your words can bring healing. Your words can bring injury. Your words influence the spiritual health of others. They are powerful. They go deep. Some of you, some of us, have experienced the pain of words. We've been in the circle of someone for a long time, either a parent or a friend, quote-unquote friend, or a coworker or a boss that just speaks harm into you, speaks harm, speaks harm. And you still carry that harm. But one of the powerful aspects of this revolutionary wisdom that we can have as a community is that we can speak healing into one another. That this should be a place where we are able to come and feel the healing words of wisdom in our lives. This is the kind of community that changes larger communities. When you become a community of wisdom because the words you speak are words of healing, then there's a revolution that begins. So speak words to each other. Let us speak words to each other that bring healing. Years ago, I was teaching an advanced communication class at Wilmington University, and one of the students did a presentation on um, encouraging and forming the spirits of children. She was a preschool teacher. And she handed out to us a list of 100 ways to say good job. I don't know if you remember it's Gina, but I brought it home, and we hung it in our fridge. And um, this is... 15 years ago now, uh, we hung it in our fridge. We said, let's try to use these words in caring for our children. And so it was stuff like, good job, way to go, rock on, stuff like that. But it's not just for kids. Gina and I found that these were good words to use with each other. Rock on, Gina. It works. See? Everyone, everyone likes to be encouraged. Don't ever say they don't need it. We sometimes say that, we're, oh, they're fine. They don't need encouragement. Wrong. We can all use encouragement all the time. We can all use healing words all the time. We can all use positive words all the time. So let us be a community where our words heal. Words are powerful not only because they go deep, but they also spread. Words have a spreading power. Proverbs 16.27 refers to the words of a scoundrel as a scorching fire. The words of a scoundrel is a scorching fire. Words are like wildfire. Once ignited, they can hardly be contained. 
once it's been put out there, it starts to burn. And if they're harmful words, it leaves nothing but scorched earth behind it. The spread of words is so powerful because once you've said something, you know this, right? This is, this is third grade. Once you've said something, you can't what? Take it back. You can apologize. You can clarify. You can say you didn't mean it. You can say you didn't want it to come out that way. It does not matter. It cannot be unsaid, and it cannot be unheard. Or in the case of, in our technology today, it cannot be unread. Once a wildfire starts, it is very, very challenging to put it out. It can sweep over our life. It can sweep through a friendship. It can destroy a church. And we'd love to think, we'd love to think that our good words spread in the same way. Wouldn't that be great? To think that when I encourage someone, that my encouragement goes on and on and on. And it can. But it, does, it just seems like the fiery words are the ones that are more, more interesting to, to spread. It's the fire that jumps from one person to another to another. So, why are, what, what's powerful? words are powerful for two reasons. They go deep and they spread. There are three sort of categories of negative words in Proverbs. Do you remember, do you remember, like, back in old Fox TV, there was this series, I guess it's a series of TV shows of, of like, when something attacks. Do you remember these? Like, when alligators attack, when bears attack. And they would have all these, like, video clips of people that are, like, poking bears with a stick. And you watch them get attacked. Well, there are some aspects of words that are attacking so here are three ways that words attack. So these are ways that words, they're, they're just bad. Just down to the core, these words are attacking. These words are bad. Here's the first one, quarreling. Words attack when the words are quarreling. Proverbs seventeen fourteen. Starting a quarrel is like opening a floodgate. So stop before the dispute breaks out. You see the similar image three there with the fire? If you're not starting a wildfire, you're starting a flood. And both of them, once they start to flow, they're hard to stop. The quarreling floodgate is hard to stop. Now, we're all going to get into disagreements. And I don't think the book of Proverbs is saying to us, don't disagree about anything. I think what it's talking about is a spirit of quarrelsomeness. So think about your own spirit. Maybe in different contexts, because this might not classify you all the time, but maybe at work or at home or with a certain group of people. Have you become grouchy? Are you that grumpy one that always disagrees? Have you become the naysayer, the disagreer, the grouch? Have you become the one that always bickers, always argues, always complains? Then you've become the quarreler. You've opened a floodgate and a reputation about yourself that's going to take some time to patch back up. Because people are saying, oh, well, he never agrees. He never wants to. He, she's always kind of arguing around about stuff. Always kind of bickering. There's a spirit of quarrelsomeness that I think the Proverbs is talking about. 
It's not saying you should never disagree. It's saying, do you have a spirit of disagreement? When you come this morning, is nothing ever right. Songs are never good enough. Preacher's lame. Just asking. Let's just be honest. We never know what they're doing. Somebody didn't vacuum. What's with those people? You understand what I'm saying about a querulous spirit. It's a, it's a, a spirit that brings conflict to every situation. You may not bicker out loud, but you're bickering in your heart with every little thing you see. So that is, that is words attacking. That's your words and the spirit in your heart attacking. It might not be outright fights, but it is counter to the spirit of wisdom. So when do words attack? When you quarrel. Secondly, words attack when you're dishonest. Proverbs 12.22 comes right out with it. It says this, lying lips are an abomination. There's subtlety for you. Lying lips are an abomination. I probably don't need to set up the current cultural climate right now when it comes to truth. The idea of truth in our culture has taken quite a hit. Every year, the Oxford Dictionaries of Great Britain chooses a word of the year that they think reflects sort of the feel of the year. It might have been a word that was coined in that year. It's the idea that the tenor of the year is kind of encapsulated by this word. And the Oxford English Dictionary's word of the year for last year was post-truth. Post-truth. Defined as this. Relating or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential than emotion and personal beliefs. Which is to say, I'm not super interested in the facts and by extension the truth. What I'm really interested in is how does it make me feel? What I'm really interested in, does it match up with my preconceived set of beliefs or not? I just want you to tell me what matches my beliefs. Post-truth. We don't ask the question, and this isn't just in politics. We've moved away from the question of is it true to is it effective? Does it work? Will it accomplish what I want it to accomplish? And if that's your question, then truth becomes irrelevant. Lies might be more effective to getting what you want than truth. So when you move away from the question of is it true to the question of will it work, then you've moved away from wisdom into foolishness. Proof, uh, truth has taken a hit. But there's this one proverb. Let me say it to you. Proverbs 20:17. This is a great image. Bread. This is Proverbs 20:17. Bread gained by deceit is sweet, but afterwards the mouth is filled with gravel. Isn't that awesome? When you first bite into untruth, you're like, "Oh, this is awesome." But the more you chew, the sudden, you suddenly realize it's breaking your teeth. So we must be people who are pursuing truth, particularly in our speech. Truth, in the end, wins. In a world of untruths, post-truths, alternative facts, eventually these will all become gravel in people's mouths.
Are your words true? It's worth noting, maybe, in the year 2015 was the first time that the Oxford English Dictionary chose a emoji as their word of the year. The emoji was the I'm crying my eyes out emoji. That was the quote-unquote word of the year for 2015. So a lot changed between 2015 and 2016. But I'm hopeful. Wisdom. Wisdom is our word of the year. Wisdom, the word of 2017. Third way that words attack. Quarreling, lying, gossip. Third one, when words attack, it's through gossip. Proverbs 16.28 is as blunt as the one about dishonesty. It says this, gossip separates friends. There you have it. Not much to preach on that. Gossip separates friends. But I do want to say this about gossip. You must remember there's always two participants in gossip. There's always two participants. There is the speaker of information that is not her own, and there is a listener of information that is not her own or his. (laughs) I'm trying to be gender-friendly here. His, her, or they, their own. So we need to help each other in this. I remember there was a time at school where somebody came up to me and they said, Rick, I probably shouldn't tell you this. And I, and I said, well, then don't. And they chuckled and then they began to speak again. And I said, no, seriously. If you don't think I'm supposed to hear this, then you shouldn't tell me. And they said, oh, all right. And off they went. And I wasn't attempting to be rude, but apparently it wasn't something I needed to know because I still don't know what she was going to tell me. So I've I've survived just fine without it. But it's interesting. It's helpful for you to have things in your mind for you to say if you feel like somebody's saying something to you that's sort of moving into the area of gossip. You need to have the courage to say, are you sure you should tell me this? Or do I need to know this? Or maybe you should tell him about it directly. When it comes to something in church or in school, I mean at school, in school or work, that, um, that has to do with leadership, it may be your answer is you need to tell um, somebody in, in authority about this. Like go talk to a deacon or go talk to your department chair or go talk to your humanities representative. Don't tell me. Telling me is just gossip. Telling them is effectively using the resources given to you. So there's a difference there. It may not be that you're not supposed to talk about it at all. It's that you're supposed to find the right person to talk about it. So it's not like, oh, I need to bottle this up and live in silence about something that's, that's concerning me. It's finding the right person to speak to. And we can help each other with that. Churches, the, the history is littered with churches and that, have, that have gone under because people weren't talking to the right people. It's, it's, it's challenging as a leader in a church to be the last one to know. And this is true of work or ministry, any kind of leadership position. It's tough to be the last one to know when you feel like, well, if I had known of this ahead of time, then the floodgates wouldn't even have opened because the solution or the explanation may have been able to be made. All right, so words can attack. 
quarreling, lying, or gossiping. And there's a sense where all three of those things, they move away from wisdom altogether. There's not a whole lot of wisdom ever in lying and gossiping or in dishonesty. It's not like there's a hint of wisdom in there somewhere. But there's some aspects of speaking that require wisdom to be applied, and it takes some wisdom to figure out how to do it well. And I'm going to call these um, when good words go bad. This is when good words go bad. And I, I have to use a milk illustration here. I love milk. I am a milk fan. But I am not about milk that is even close to being sour. I mean, if I even, I smell the milk every time I drink it. It can be brand new. I just took that little thing off. I pop it open. It says it's three and a half weeks from being expired. Does not matter. I smell it. Gina, do I smell it? I smell it every time. I'll have other people in the family smell it. Nate, what do you think? Gina, what do you think? What do we think? We think it's okay? Because I'm not about the close thing. Gina's fine. If it's kind of close, she'll drink it. Not me. Not me. It's got to be, it's got to have no odor at all whatsoever. I don't know what good milk smells like, but I know it should not have a smell. And Gina, a little insight into our family, she's always like, oh, no, Rick, it's just like the, the crust around the ring that you're smelling, you know, right? No, if the crust smells, the whole thing smells. That's just the way it is. I want nothing to do with it. I'll take water with my cereal. It doesn't matter. I am, a, I am not a risk taker when it comes to milk. It goes sour. And don't trust the date. Do not trust the date. They make that up somewhere. I think there's no signs behind the date. I'll tell you. I says the English major. Thank you. Um, I should. I, maybe this is too much insight to our family. We've returned milk because it, it soured too quickly. I've gone back to the store and gone. It says March 4th. It's March 2nd, and this is sour. And they'll be like, go get another one. And then they talk about me with the other customer service people, right? It's like, did you know that a guy came back today and returned his milk? That's me. All right, so the idea behind this is that here's a few ways that Proverbs talks about words that in and of themselves might be true, might be honest, might be good, but for some reason they've gone sour. First one, bragging. Bragging. Proverbs 27.2. Let another praise you, not your own lips. Someone else's and not your own mouth. Let me say that again. That's great. Let, your, let, others, let another praise you, not your own mouth, someone else, and not your own lips. Good words go bad when you're primarily using them to praise yourself. And it might be true. You might be all those great things that you're saying. You might be accurate with everything you're saying that's wonderful about yourself. But when you're the one saying it, then good words have gone sour. And they're received by others, by the way, sort of like souring milk. One way to check yourself on this is to review the conversations you've had this week and think about, do I have a habit of turning conversations back to me? Ask yourself, do I have a habit of turning conversations back to me? And this happens, right? You're sitting down with somebody, they're asking advice about something, and you go, well, I kind of had that same thing happen. And then 20 minutes later, you've talked all about yourself. And your friend's thinking, when did this start being about her or him? Right? When did it start being about them and not me? Let another praise you. Another way to look at it, this is, this is interesting. I, I'd like to think some more about this. But 
If you went back to your Instagram or your Facebook from the last two weeks, are you really just posting a lot of things that are sort of bragging about your life? In a way that's maybe not all that healthy? Look how wonderful this is. Look how wonderful that is. Look how wonderful this is. Look at me. 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 It'd be interesting for you to to think, what is my goal when I post on social media? Am I just bragging? Again, I'm not saying don't post vacation pictures on social media. It's all good. It's okay. What I'm saying is that is your spirit one where you're drawing attention to yourself in an unhealthy way, where you're actually praising yourself with your own lips over what you've been able to accomplish and what you're able to do. So maybe looking through and going, is there, are there, am I posting things that give glory and praise to others? Am I posting things that give credit away from myself, or is it always pointing back to myself? There's something more there that's worth thinking about. All right, so good words go bad when good words are used to praise yourself. Bragging. Good words go bad, secondly, when they are ill-timed. When they are ill-timed. We've all had this situation. We've all had the situation where you've said the right thing at a bad time. And you go, oh, that's what I wanted to say, but it wasn't heard because it was such horrible timing. Why did I try to say it then? It's like when you're doing an international flight and they're trying to readjust your body's schedule by giving you the meal that you're supposed to be eating when you land, but like you're expecting breakfast because your body says it's breakfast time and they give you lasagna, right? And, and you're like, well, that's good food, but it's ill-timed. And then it goes down sour. As a married, for those of you who are married, you know that there can be conversations that happen way too late at night. Conversations that should have happened when you were both more awake and more alert and more able to talk. There are times when you try to pull somebody aside in the hallway to say something that's not a hallway conversation. It may be good, it may be true, it may be right, but the context, the timing is not good, and therefore the good words go bad. Proverbs 15:23 A man finds joy in giving an apt reply. How good is the timely word? How good is the timely word? The value of wise words is not just the word, but the timing of the word. Good words go bad with bragging, with ill timing. Good words go bad when they are uncontrolled. Good words go bad when they are uncontrolled. Proverbs 17, 27. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. And whoever has understanding is even-tempered. Good words will be under control. They will use caution and they will use constraint. Now, you, have, you might rightfully have the emotions of frustration or of anger or of hurt. And your words can reflect your anger, your frustration, or your hurt. This Proverbs is not saying you shall suppress your emotions. But it is saying in your anger, 
in your hurt, in your correction, in your frustration, your words must stay controlled. Because otherwise, you're starting a fire. And I think, again, you can think of times where you've said to yourself, I said what needed to be said, but I wish I wasn't so upset when I said it. I needed to say that to that person, but I was so angry when I said it that it came out in such a harmful way. And the words still might have been true, but it was a good word gone bad because you were not able to control the word and the way it was communicated. The emotion you had behind it was not appropriate. Finally, good words go bad when there are too many words. I appreciate the almost scientific feel of Proverbs 10.29. When words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. When words are many, sin is not absent. It's almost like that if-then we talked about last week. If you speak a lot, you're going to sin more. Speak less, sin less. That's sort of the setup of the proverb. There is a power in brevity of speech. Sometimes it might be good to think of words like a billboard, where there's sort of the briefness of it is is sort of the power of it. This past summer, we went and visited the Henry Ford Museum in Dearborn, Illinois, uh, just outside of Detroit. It's actually called the Museum of Innovation. It's not just about cars, although there's a lot of cars there. Um, But there was one display, for example, that was all about sort of the development and innovation of toys over the years, um, particularly the electronic toys. So they had this big big display from the 80s. I know I keep talking about the 80s. I think you're walking through my midlife crisis with me. Um, But there was these toys, um, and there was sort of, there was the Mattel football game, which was really just dashes running at each other and trying to dodge each other. There was this game called Merlin, and uh, it was like, it was like a, um, it was like, tic-tac-toe on steroids. There was all these other games you could play with it. And then there was the, in, in this glass case, along with these other electronic games, was this the speak and spell. The speak and spell. I spent lots of time, obviously, with the speak and spell. So I'm talking about all these things, and I'm talking to my kids, and they were, at this time, they would have been, like, older, right? So they're 17 and 15 or 16 and 18 listening to my stories about, oh, I remember playing with that and Sunday afternoon playing with that and talking about all of this. And at one point, my daughter stopped me and said, how, Dad, how, how does it feel to have your entire childhood in a museum? So we moved on from that display. And, and we went over to the one that wasn't about cars, but they had this cool display about the way the culture changed because of cars. So they talked about motels and drive-in theaters and fast food chains and hotel chains and all the things that happened because of cars and it talked about billboards. Because prior to cars, you didn't need to put stuff on a sign that people could read going 55 miles an hour. But once that was the case... The whole idea of, well, what kind of sign do we need along a highway so that people who are going 55 to 75 miles an hour will actually read it? And the answer is, the signs are huge. Average billboard is 15 foot by 48 foot. I don't even know if this is 48 foot. It's a big sign. And of course, 
You can only put so many words on it. You've got to say what you want to say in brevity. You've got to be short and sweet and to the point. And sometimes that's a helpful way to think about words. What is a way that I can communicate what I need to communicate that's short and sweet and to the point? You've all been to meetings where somebody has good ideas, but they talk so much that the good ideas are lost. Right? And you're like, oh, they have good ideas, but they just keep talking. And the other eight people in the room, their ideas aren't heard. So words that are good can go sour when there's too many of them. Words at their best are honest, they're well-timed, they're controlled, they're not selfish. Words at their best are life-giving. They go to the inmost parts of our friends and our coworkers and our families and our children and our spouses and our parents. They go to the inmost part and they bring them and it brings them life. Words at their best bring life. And so it's no wonder that in the book of John, Jesus is introduced to us as the Word. In the beginning was the Word. Jesus is the embodiment of all the good that words can be. Truthful, aptly timed, controlled, humble, powerful. Jesus' Word brings life to us. So we must ask, do our words bring life to others? Pray with me. Lord, we speak so much, and when we're not speaking it, we're typing it. So we use words, Lord, so often that we understand how much wisdom is needed there. And so I pray for myself. I pray for this community. I pray that we would be people who use words wisely, that they're well-timed and aptly spoken, that they're honest and truthful, that they're not quarrelous and that they're not gossipy. Lord, we understand words are powerful and we want our words to bring life as your word brings life to us. And so may you make us a community of wise words so that we might experience this revolution in our own relationships where we can bring this wise, this wisdom and these wise words to others as well. Lord, may our word be wisdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.